0: We want to dismiss our kids for workshop. Let's make some noise for our children. We like to cheer for our kids. So as you know, we're doing some drawings every night during the month of March. And then when we get to Easter weekend, we're going to draw one name for the grand prize. But we'll draw some other names for some other prizes as well. But the grand prize is a $150 gift card. And you're going to have like a catalog of sorts you can pick from, a spa package, Bistro. Best Pro Shop, that's what I would pick just in case you're going to pick it and give it to me. Just throwing that in there. But so, all right, so we're going to draw out five and then uh, Tyler's going to draw one. This puts the pressure on somebody else, you see, every week. So, Mike Blevin, come on, nice. Indeed, indeed. All right, number two, number two, Jessica Kuhn. Where's Jessica? She's in here. Come on, there she is. Well done. They're from the Williamsburg campus. They might be double dipping, double in their chances. That's a good strategy. That's smart. That's smart. George Jack, where's George? Hey, George. Anthony Hiltz. There's Anthony, nice. nice. Honeymoon spending money right there, just saying. Lynette Tully. Yay. Come on. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Give it up for Tyler helping out tonight. Hey, so we just a quick word before we jump into the message. We're going to push hard and fast for these next 25 minutes. And then what we don't get to, I'll blog on it uh, so that if if we run out of of time. So but we do just want to encourage, you know, never have we ever said in the history of the church when the service is over, get out. But we're saying it tonight. You with me? So at six o'clock, you cannot stay here. So if you have kids in the nursery, you need to get your kids and and head out here because we, we want to make room for our guests that are that are, that are are coming in tonight off the street. And so uh, that's really going to help us. There's setup we have to do. There's, there's some turning over of the space that we've got to get done. So when we say amen, you've got to make a beeline for your kids and make a beeline for the door. And you can go party somewhere else, right? The after party can take place somewhere else. And so there's restaurants all over town where City Life Church invades. And so if you could help us with that tonight, that would be fantastic. So Monopoly. The City Life Edition is a series that we created that we're going to keep coming back to throughout the year. And when we found out that they were going to get rid of one of the game pieces, you know, they ended up getting rid of the iron and they replaced it with the cat. It got some of us thinking about this idea of of the difference between things that are temporary and the things that are eternal. And so we said, let's create a series that we can keep coming back to that just lets us explore what we call here at the City Life Church, the pathways. It's scripture, prayer, worship fasting, accountability, relationships, gathering, reaching, stewardship, generosity, rest, and service, these will forever transcend time and culture. If Jesus doesn't come back for another 5,000 years, there's not going to be a group of people that meet together to figure out which one of these have lost their significance. They will always be deeply meaningful to anyone who is a devoted follower of Christ, and we want these pathways to monopolize our lives, and we want to be a church that teaches you how to do it. So we've been asking ourselves as part of the bank, that's the sermon within the series, four heart questions and four money questions as we examine two of the twelve. So the two that we picked to start the series is generosity and stewardship. Now, so, so tonight is the last part of the bank. We've done all four heart questions. You can get all these on our podcast. We've done three of the four money questions, and we're going to do the last money question tonight, Okay. So the one we're going to talk about tonight is how am I doing with my financial responsibilities to my church. So maybe you're visiting tonight and, you said, and you've never been before and you said, I'm coming, but if they talk about money at that service, I am never coming back again. So we'd like to thank you for coming one time to the City Life Church, right? So, we, we, we talk about money maybe twice a year here, maybe twice a year here. And so, if, if you were having that conversation with God and we are covering it tonight, then I think God's got a little bit of a sense of humor with you for just two out of 52 weeks. But we, we have this belief at the City Life Church if we find it in here, then it needs to be talked about in the pulpit. That, that we want, if, if God put it in that book, then it needs to be a part of our lives. And money and giving to the church is part of that conversation. It doesn't define our conversation here at the City Life Church, but it's certainly a part of our conversation here. So I was digging around on the internet, and I found some, some pretty humorous things this week. I'm going to throw a couple at you at you tonight. But one was this, my favorite, was there were two men. They were marooned on a deserted island, right? And so one man is pacing back and forth and back and forth because he's just convinced we're going to die here. And the other man, much to his frustration, was sitting under a palm tree, just relaxing like he was at some all-inclusive resort and just kind of looking expectantly out onto the horizon. And the one man finally went over to him, terribly frustrated, and said, Don't you realize we're going to die in this place? And the man said, I don't think so. He says, Well, why why would you say that? We've got nothing. There's no way to let anyone know we're here. He said, Well, I make $100,000 a week. A week, not a year, $100,000 a week. And I tithe to my church faithfully every week, and I have ever since I've been a part of that congregation. My pastor, he's going to find us. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was so good. I do have a boat. I will find you, just for the record, just for the record. All right, so I want to talk about... We're going to talk about. You know, there's lots of things that we can talk about with giving to our church. We're going to talk specifically about this concept, this idea that the Bible calls a tithe. That's a word that means a tenth part. And there's lots of ways that we give to our church. We give through faith promise. If you called us your church home, we hope that you've made a decision to adopt a child through child sponsorship for food for the hungry. That's one of the ways that we give to our church. But there's this other way that we give that's very unique. It's separate. It's different from all the other ways that we give. And if we have time tonight, I want to talk about five things that make a gift a tithe. And if it does doesn't reach these five things, and it might be an act of generosity, but I would say humbly that it doesn't rise to the standard of what the Bible calls a tithe. So you've heard me reference this book. This is the best book that I have ever read that talks about giving and generosity. It's called The Blessed Life. We've used it before in this series, and so I want to read an extended excerpt tonight. Can, can you turn my mic down a little bit for me? I feel like it's a little, it's a little hot. It says, It is vital that you understand something about the principle of the firstborn. According to Old Testament law, the firstborn was to either be sacrificed or redeemed. There was no third option. Every time one of your livestock animals delivered its firstborn, you were to sacrifice it, or if it was designated as unclean, you had to redeem it with a clean, spotless lamb. To summarize, the clean firstborn had to be sacrificed and the unclean firstborn had to be redeemed. With that in mind, think about the account in the New Testament in which John the Baptist meets Jesus on the banks of the Jordan River. John was baptizing one day and he looked up to see Jesus walking toward him. And at that point, Jesus cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. With that inspired declaration, John perfectly defined the role Jesus had come to fulfill. Jesus was God's firstborn. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus was clean, perfect, and unblemished in every way. On the other hand, every one of us was born unclean. If you don't believe that, you can just spend 15 minutes in the nursery. We were all born sinners with a fully active sin nature. Now think back to the principle of the firstborn in Exodus. Remember the law stated that if the firstborn animal was clean, it was to be sacrificed, and the firstborn was unclean, it had to be redeemed with a clean animal. Do you see the symbolic parallel? Jesus Christ was God's firstborn son, and he was born clean. He was born a pure, spotless lamb. But every one of us was born unclean. Therefore, Jesus was sacrificed to redeem us. When he redeemed us by his sacrifice, he brought us back for God, He was literally a first fruits offering in a very real sense. Jesus was God's tithe. It's a fascinating concept, isn't it? God gave his tithe, Jesus, in faith before we ever believed. Notice that God gave him to us before we believed, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to give our first fruits offering, our tithes, in much the same way before we see the blessing of God. We give it in faith. And just a little bit more. Listen to this. It says the first belongs to God. We find this principle all through God's word. We can give God the first of our time. We can give him the first of our finances, and that's what tithing really is. Giving our to God first. It's saying, God, I'm going to give to you first and trust that you will redeem the rest. Put another way, when a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce. Nevertheless, God didn't say, let your you produce nine lambs first and then give me the next one. No, God says, give me the first one. It always requires faith to give the first. And that's why so few Christians experience the blessing of tithing. It means giving to God before you see if you're going to have enough. Part of what makes a gift of tithe is that it's priority based. It means that there is something inside of you that says regardless. It means that something inside of you that says no matter what. It means something inside of you that says, even though I don't understand how I can do it, I'm going to do it anyways because I'm going to make it a priority. And when it crosses the threshold of being a priority, it becomes redemptive. And when it becomes redemptive, it positions the rest of what you have for the supernatural favor of God. Now there's lots of favor of God that's going to come to you and me that has nothing to do with anything that we do or don't do. That's just the grace of God. We believe in that. We talk about that and we teach about that. But we also want to be a church that helps you understand how do you position yourself for the favor of God that is conditional. There's also favor that's conditional, and part of the conditional favor of God, based on our material resources, is, is there a priority gift that we give, and when we give that priority gift, it is redemptive in nature, and it positions the rest of what we have for God's favor. So it has to be priority-based, has to be priority-based, that's number one. The second one is this, it should be a percentage, it should be a percentage. This is out of Luke 24, 1 through 4. It says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. If you were to read the first few verses, this is one of the parts of the Bible where you're glad that we don't practice what Jesus practiced as a church, right? So if you're looking for a church that always does everything that Jesus does, don't forget to read Luke 21, 1 through two, because there you find him standing at the offering box, watching what everybody puts in and giving commentary to everybody else in attendance about what's happening. So I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'm looking for a church that does those types of things, right? So, so we see here that Jesus talks about this idea that just because you don't have much doesn't mean you can't give much. Because in God's eyes, giving much has little to do with the amount that you give. It has to do with what you're giving out of. This percentage-based system, God's a pretty smart guy, that he created, right? It evens the playing field. It's possible for someone like us of modest means, really, in God's kingdom, to outgive some of the wealthiest people in the world. And it's his eyes, he's watching us, right? That's part of the story. He's watching what we're giving. He's the only one that we're trying to please. He's the only one that we're trying to gain favor with. We don't give because we want to gain favor with the people that are in the room. We give because we want to gain favor with God, and he's watching. And even if I only have little, I can give much because it's a percentage-based system. This idea of a percentage, I think God also established because it reminds us that until it's a percentage that crosses the threshold of sacrifice, it's also not a tithe. So it has to be priority-based, it has to be a percentage, and it has to be a percentage that we feel, right? If it's point oh 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 one, then, right, that's a gift, but it's not a tithe. It's not a tithe. Something inside of me has got to be willing to live less for it to be the kind of percentage that rises to the place of a tithe that makes it redemptive so it redeems the rest of what I keep. It's a principle, Listen to this, Matthew 23, 23. It says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Now, why is this verse important? It's important because you may have heard people say before, nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about tithing. Right? Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've heard someone say that Jesus never talked about tithing. But right here. Now, you might say, well, it's only one verse. But it's one verse in the Bible, so that counts. Right? It's not as though when God was editing scripture, he didn't realize this one slipped in without his knowing. He wasn't looking for the angels that were responsible for doing the edit work for this portion of the teaching stream of the Bible, and they got in trouble because this one slipped by. Everything that's in there is with great intention by God. And he's saying to us, hey, this is an important practice that started in the old, continues in the new, and needs to be a timeless one that continues on forever and ever until I return. It is a principle that tracks with us beginning in the old, moves all the way through the New Testament, and we see here Jesus giving it a nod right here in the New Testament. When, when you look at the Old Testament, there are things that did not make it into our modern day, right? We don't have cities of refuge anymore. If you're reading through the Bible in a year with us, you got to that. It was a beautiful picture of cities that were set aside when the Israelites went into the promised land. If someone accidentally killed someone else, they could go live in this city of refuge, and they could live there safely, and the people of that city were tasked with the responsibility of protecting them. if Someone came to exact revenge. We don't have cities of refuge anymore, right? There's many parts of the Old Testament that did not make it through. So we understand there's things that we abandoned. And then there's things that they happened thousands of years ago, and they happen today, and they're going to keep happening. How about expressive worship? Anybody like expressive worship? Is the worship band, they, do they not do an amazing job, right? You, you could drop them. Come on, you can clap for that. If we had a time machine, we could send them back in time, and they're going to be right at home in Davidic worship that you find in the book. Now, they're going to have to learn a few different instruments, okay? Right? They're going to have to learn a few different songs. Tyler and I were talking on the front row at some point in the series this year when we talk about worship. We'll have to do Name That Tune for the old school charismatic songs that many of us grew up with. Wouldn't that be fun? All right. We're just wetting your appetite a little bit. Great idea. Born right there on the front row during announcements. So there's things. They look a little bit different. They sound a little bit different, but they're really just the same. Expressive praise and worship and adoration. It was the same in the old. It's the same in the new, and it's the same today. It has not changed. Then there's a third category when you're tracking what makes it from the old to the new, where the standard is increased, right? So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you commit adultery, if you have a sexual relationship with someone outside of marriage, you've committed egregious sin. But he says, hey, but let me remind you of this if you just lust after it and fantasize about it, even in your mind, you have still committed a sin that's just as serious in God's eyes as if you had gone out and committed adultery. So part of Jesus' teaching, he raises the bar. Some are left behind, some stay the same, and some he raises the bar. So if you're asking yourself the question, where does tithing belong? It has to fall into one of those three categories because all the rest of the old testament falls into one of those three categories so you either have to resign yourself that i'm never going to ever give anything to my church ever again right or i've got to give in the same manner that they gave in the old testament or come on or the standard is going to go higher and i should give more than they gave then the grace that we read about in the new testament was never given to us to give us permission to live less that's not the doctrine of grace I believe there's also a principle that God was trying to set into motion when the Israelites came into the promised land. I believe that he was trying to set into motion a principle that every society has a deep and abiding need for vocational clergy. Now, you can say, well, Fred, that's a little bit self-serving, and that's a fair argument. And one of the things that I love about my own journey is that I didn't come into vocational ministry until 1999. So I had 10 years of being a part of a church just like you're a part of a church. I had 10 years of being a part of a church just as a member of that church, as a volunteer in that church. And I was just as excited then about what I'm talking about today as I am now. There should be something inside of our heart that says, I want to live out everything that's in this book. And I believe with all of my heart, I believed it then and I believe it now, that that every society, every community needs people that can give 100% of their time and attention to the spiritual needs of the congregation that they're part of. If you've ever called me, and many of you have, and oftentimes many of you say, I'm sorry to bother you, I know you must be very busy. If you've ever said that, you know the first thing that comes out of my mouth. I'm never too busy to do this. I'm never too busy for you. This is why we have full-time staff at the City Life Church, so there can be clergy that can give their time and their attention to the spiritual needs of the church that we call home. It's a principle. It has to be a priority, it has to be a percentage, and it has to be a principle that we recognize that carries through. All right, we're good on time. Promise. We're going to do five. This is number four. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and there will be enough food in my temple if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will open the windows of heaven. I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in, put me to the test try it it says just before that i underline that part because you can read the bible from start to finish from genesis to revelation and you will never find anywhere else in all of scripture where god gives us permission to test him if anything he says the opposite right if anything he says hey don't test me i'm god and you're not i'm in control and you should let me be in control of you but right here it's interesting isn't it he's picked one place out of all the teachings of the Bible, of all the streams of teaching and themes of teaching that you find in Scripture, he only picks one place where he says, test me. And he says it directly in regards to this idea of a tithe. You might have heard the one about the, 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 the man who he had nothing. And so he had a priest who was a friend. And so in his office one day, in just a moment of desperation, he made a vow to God, a sacred vow. where He said, I'll give you every, for the rest of my life, I'll give you 10% of everything that I ever made every year. The next year, he makes $100,000. He couldn't wait to get to church and write a check for 1000 bucks. right? So every year, he makes more and more and more. He remembers making his first $100 million. He remembers making his first $500 million. And many, many, many years had gone by, and he finally crossed the threshold of making his first billion with the B dollars, right? So he sits down with his checkbook at the end of the year, and he goes to write a check for how much? Anybody have math majors here? $100 million. Right? It's a tenth of a billion. He can't do it. He can't sign the check. He, so he calls his, the, the, the parish and he, and he asks if his friend is there. And his friend says, Come on, come over, right? If, if, you're, if you're in a crisis, I want to see you. And he comes in and he brings his checkbook and he says, I, I can't write this check. This, enough's enough, right? I've been faithful all these years. I've given a tenth of everything that I, I have. And all of a sudden, his friend, the priest, drops down on his knees and begins to pray fervently. And he on and on and on. A half an hour goes by. Finally, he looks at him. He says, Are you, you're praying for me to get released from this vow, right? And he says, oh, no, no. I'm praying that next year your income's going to be back to $100,000 to make it easier for you to keep your promise. Right? That was a joke. Anybody? Okay, that one fell a little bit flat. So there were two men that were marooned on an island. Right? It's it's this idea of of God asks us to make some promises to him, but he's the creator of the universe and he could have just left it a one-sided promise, but he didn't. He says, hey, I'm going to make some promises back to you. He does expect us to make some promises to him at times in our lives. He does expect us at times to take a stand. He does expect us at times to say, God, if this is what you're asking of me, then I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And he, as the sovereign Lord, could say to us all the time, that's right, because if not, you'd be in big trouble. But he seldom deals with us that way. Here he says, if you keep that promise, let me tell you what, I'm going to make a promise back to you. I will open up the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. I like that he doesn't say put it to the test. He doesn't say put the principle to the test. He doesn't say put the practice to the test. He says put me to the test because giving is deeply personal to God because he's the biggest giver that exists in the universe. The last one is this, the place. 1 Corinthians 16.2. 1 Corinthians 16.2. It says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. Don't wait until I get there, and then try to collect it all at once. Now, this is the last one. I say this one to the last because this is an important one for me. Because it raises the question. All right, so maybe you're here tonight, and you're saying, you know what? I, I, I can agree with this idea that in order for it to be a tithe, it has to be based on a prior, It has to be a priority. It has to be a percentage it's a principle that carries forward from the Old to the New Testament. And I, I recognize this idea. I, I recognize this, this, this concept that, that all of these four have got to be covered in order for it to rise to the standard to meet the test of being a tithe. But then you could get to the very end of the conversation and say, but where does it go? You with me? You track it with me? You could get to the very end of your conversation and you could say, but but, does the Bible talk about how it's supposed to be apportioned up? Do the, does the Bible talk about if I take this 10th part, and, and, it, and you might not be able to start with a 10th. Hey, you know what? To God, that's okay. You, you just start with a percentage that works for you, that crosses a threshold of sacrifice, and then you just set a goal that eventually I'm going to work my way up to 10, and then we say, hey, you don't have to stop there. And we're on a journey in our own personal life. We're saying as a, as a minimum, as a family, we've always practiced this, that we're going to give a, a, a tenth of our gross annual income to our church. And we weren't able to start there, but we were able to work our way there, and now that we're there and a little bit beyond it, we just say, hey, why should we stop, Right? Why, should, why shouldn't there be something inside of us that says, I want to position myself in a place to be a, a very generous person in my life? But it raises the question, where does it go? How does it get divided up? How does it get divided up? And I'm going to be the first to say that the Bible is terribly ambiguous when it comes to answering that question. And you know what? I like that about the Bible. Because there's lots of things that are ambiguous about the Bible. And I don't think that's because God made any mistakes, just like we were talking about Matthew 23 earlier. I think God made it ambiguous because he likes for us to work it out. I think he likes to leave some things ambiguous because he wants us to talk it out with friends. I think he likes for, us to, for it to be ambiguous because he wants us to step into a place of prayer where we wrestle with God, what do you want from me? And so I think churches get into trouble when they teach with a degree of specificity that goes beyond the exactness of the text. I think Let me say that. Churches get into trouble when they teach with a degree of specificity that goes beyond the exactness of the text. We know that a tithe meets all of those other four things. If you read the Bible honestly, you've got to come to that conclusion. But when you get to this idea of the place that it goes, it's ambiguous. And so that's where, as a church, you've got to make a distinction between what's a command and what's culture. All the other four, I believe, are very clear commands that the Bible gives. And once you move out of the place of commands, you have to say, what's right for us as a church, for us to practice? And for us as a church, our culture, the culture here at the City Life Church, is we give our tithe to the church that we call home. It's part of who we are as a congregation. It's part of who we are as a church. It's part of what we celebrate doing together. Everybody who serves on a leadership team here at the City Life Church has made a commitment to serve as a leader. You sign something called the Barnabas Mandate, and that means lots of different things, but one of the things that a leader has to commit to is that you're going to work your way to a place where you're giving at least 10% of your gross annual income to our church. Everybody on the governance team practices that. Everybody on the MLTC practices that. Everybody on C Squared, which is our broadest leadership team, is either practicing it or working its way to it. Not because there's a command that's in here that says you have to, but because it's part of who we are as a church family. And we love the idea of giving our tie to the church that we call home, to give back to the place that's giving to us, and to make sure that the vision that we have, that we cherish so deeply as a congregation, that the resources are here, that we need to put them into practice. All right. That's the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my entire life. There's hope. There's hope. I'm going to close with this. This is John 12, 1 through 8. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they had him, they had made him a supper, speaking of Jesus, and Martha served, but Lazarus, was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Generosity has a great scent, doesn't it? But one of his disciples, Judas, who would betray him, said, Why is this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone, for she has kept this for the day of my burial. I'm going to jump down to the end of this. It highlights the fact that wherever you find generosity, you will also find selfishness. It's a powerful story, isn't it? Battling for control of the moment. It was true in the situation then, and it's true in our own hearts today. Each of us has to take a hard inward look and ask the question, am I generous or am I selfish? And which one now has the upper hand in me? Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what's about ready to happen in this building. Father, if we had to prioritize anything, I think that you would say this is the most special moment that happens in this room all year is what's happening all week. May it be, Father, wherever we go as a church, wherever we find ourselves from renting space here to someone else, somewhere else that we might Hopefully this year, as you've spoken to us, it being the year of our field that we would call home, that everywhere that we go, it would be a place that champions generosity. It would be a place that's willing to slay the giant of selfishness, not just in our own lives individually, but collectively as a church family. And that we would always be a place that has a heart for the under-resourced. That we would always be a place that's willing to live a little bit less so that others might have something who have nothing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.